Chapter Seven of Principles of Economics, Book Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Economics, Book Five by Anfrey Marshall, Chapter Seven. Bram and total cost in relation to Chuan Brothers. Cost of marketing, insurance against rich, cost of pre-production. Session one. We may now return to the consideration of Bram and supplementary costs, with special reference to the proper distribution of the latter between the Chuan Brothers of a business. It often happens that a thing making one branch of a business is used as a raw material in another, and then the question of the relative profitableness of the two branches can be accurately ascertained only by an elaborate system of bookkeeping by double and dry. Though in brothers it is more common to rely on rough estimates made by an almost instinctive guess. Some of the best illustrations of this difficulty are found in agriculture, especially when the same farm combines permanent pasture and arable land, work on long rotation. Another difficult case is that of the sheep owner, who has to apportion the expense of his sheep between heavy goods and goods that are punky but not heavy. He tries, as far as may be, to get a mixed cargo of poor kinds, and an important element in the struggle for existence of rival ports is the disadvantage under which those ports lie, which are able to offer cargo only of punky or only of heavy goods, while a port whose chief export is weighty but not punky. Attract its neighborhood industry would make for export goods that can be shipped from it at low freight. The staff for sea porteries, for example, owe part of their success to the low freight at which their goods are carried by ship sharing from the marshy with iron and other heavy cargoes. But there is free competition in the ship owning trade. And it has great powers of variation as regards the size and shape of ships, the route which they take, and the whole method of trading. And thus, in many ways, the general principle can be applied that the relative proportion of uh, the chain brothers of a business should be so modified that the marginal expense of production of either brothers should be equal to its marginal demand price. Or, in other words, the amount of carrying power of each kind of cargoes has a constant tendency to move toward equilibrium at a point at which the demand price for that amount in a normal state of trade is just sufficient to cover the expense of providing it. This expense being reckoned so as to include not only its money prime cost but also own general expenses of the business which are in long run incurred on its account, whether directly or indirectly. In some branches of manufacturers, it is customary to make a first approximation to the cost 
of producing any class of goods, but assuming that the share of the general expenses of the business is proportionate either to their prime cost or to the special labor bill that is incurred in making them. Correction can be made to meet such cases as those of goods would require either more or less than an average share of spade or lie, or of the use of expensive machinery and so on. There are two elements of the general expenses of a business, the sharing of which between the different branches requires some special attention. They are the expenses of marketing and that of insurance against risk. Some kinds of goods are easily marketed. There is a steady demand for them, and it is always safe to make them for stock. But for that very reason, competition cuts their price very fine and does not allow a large margins above the direct cost of making them. Sometimes the task of making and sharing them can be rendered almost automatic, so as to require very little to be charged on the account under the head of the expenses of management and marketing. But in practice, it is not uncommon to charge such goods with even less than the small share that would probably fall to them and to use them as a means of obtaining and maintaining a business connection that will facilitate the marketing of all the classes of goods, the production of which cannot so well be reduced to routine, for as to this there is not so close a competition. Manufacturers, especially in trades connected with furniture and rash, and retailers in almost all trades, frequently find it best to use certain of their goods as a means of advertising orders, and to charge the first with less and the second with more than their proportionate share of supplementary expenses. In the former class, they bought those goods which are so uniform in character and so largely consumed that nearly all purchasers know their value well. In the second, those with regard to which purchaser think more of consulting their fancy than of buying at a lowest possible price. All difficulties of this kind are much increased by that instability of supply price, which results whenever the tendency to increasing return is acting strongly. We have seen that in seeking the normal supply price, in such cases, we must select as representative a business which is managed with normal ability and so as to get its fair share of the economies, both internal and external, resulting from industrial organization. Also that this economy, though they fluctuate with fortunes of particular businesses, yet increase generally when the aggregate production increases. Now, it is obvious that if a manufacturer make a commodity the increases production of which would but largely increase internal economy within his reach, 
it is worth it why to sacrifice a great deal in order to push itself in a new market. If he has a large capital and the commodities is one in much demand, his expenditures for this purpose may be very great, even exceeding that which he devotes directly to the manufacturers. And if, as is likely, he, he is pushing at the same time several other commodities, nothing more than a very rough guess can be made as to what share of this expenditure should be charged to the sale of, of each of them in the current year, and that share should be charged to the connection which he is endeavoring to build up for them in the future. In fact, when the production of a commodity conforms to the law of increasing return in such a way as to give a very great advantage to large producers, it is apt to fall almost entirely into the hands of a few large firms, and then the normal marginal supply price cannot be isolated on the plan just referred. Because thus, plan assuming the existence of a great many competitors with businesses of own size, some of them being young and some old, some in the ascending and some in the descending phase. The productions of such a commodity really partake in a great measure of the nature of a monopoly and its price is likely to be so much influenced by the incidence of the campaign between rival producers. Extracting for an extension of territory as clearly to have a true normal level. Economic progress is constantly offering a new facility for marketing goods at a distance. It's not only lower cost of carriage, but what is often more important, it enables producers and customers in distant places to get in touch with one another. In spite of this, the advantages of the producer who live on the spot are very great in many trades. He often enables him to hold his own against competitors at a distance whose methods of production are more economical. He can sell his own neighborhood as cheaply as they can, because though the cost of making is greater for his goods than for theirs, he escapes much of the cost which they incur from marketing. But time is on the side of the more economic methods of producing. His distant competitors will gradually get a stronger footing in the place, unless he or some new man adopts the, their improved methods. It remains to make a closer study of the relation in which insurance against risk of a business stand to the supply price of any particular commodity producing it. Session 3. The manufacturers and the trader commonly insure against injury by fine and loss at sea, and the premium which they pay are among the general expensive a share of which has to be added to the prime cost in order to determine the total cost of their goods. 
but no insulin can be effected against the great majority of business rich. Even as regards Lucy by Phi and C, insurance company have to allow for possible carelessness and fraud, and must therefore, independently of own allowance for their own expenses and profits, charge premium considerably higher than the true equivalent of the rich run by the buildings of the safe and those who manage their affair wealth. The injury done by phi or C, however, is likely, if it occurs at, at all, to be so very great that it is generally worthwhile to pay this extra tract, partly for a special trade reason, but chiefly because the total utility of increasing wealth increases less than in proportion to its amount. But the greater parts of business rich are so inseparably connected with the general management of the business that an insurance company which undertook them would really make itself responsible for their business. And in consequence, every firm has to act as its own insurance office with regard to them. The charges to which it is put under this head a part of its general expensive, and a share of them has to be added to the prime cost of its of its product. But here there are two difficulties. In some cases, insurance against rich is apt to be left out of account together. In others, it is apt to be counted twice over. Thus, a large chief owner sometimes declines to insure his safe with the underwriter, and sets aside part at least of the premiums that he might have paid to them, to build up an insurance fund of his own. But he must do, when calculating the total cost of working a safe, add to his prime cost a track on account of insurance. And he must do the same thing in some form of others. With regard to the rich against which he could not buy an insurance policy on reasonable terms, even if he wanted to. At times, for instance, some of his safe will be idle in port, or will earn only nominal freight, and to make his business remunerative in the long run he must, in some form or other, track his several voyages with an insurance premium to make up for his losses on those which are unsuccessful. In general, however, he does this, not by making a formal entry to his accounts under a separate head but by the simple plan of taking the average of successful and unsuccessful voyages together. And when that has once been done, insurance against this rate cannot be entered as a separate item in cost of productions without counting the same thing tried over. 
Having decided to run this race himself, he is likely to spend a little more than the average of his competitors in providing against their occurrence, and this extra expense enters in the ordinary wave into his balance sheet. It is really an insurance premium in other forms, and therefore he must not count insurance against his part of the rich separately, for then he would be counting at twice o over. When a manufacturer has taken the average of his sale of rest material o over a long term, and paces his future actions on the f result of his past experience, he has already allowed for the risk that the machinery will be depreciated by new inventions, renderings is nearly obsolete, and for the risk that his goods will be depreciated by changes in fashions. If he were to allow separately for insurance against this risk, he would be counting the same thing try over. Section 4. Thus, though when we have counted of the average receipt of a risky trade, we must not make a separate full allowance for insurance against risk, though there may be something to be allowed as a track on account of uncertainty. It is true that an adventurous occupation, such as gold mining, has special attractions for some people. The deterrent force of risk of loss in this is less than the attractive force of chances of a great gain. Even when the value of later estimated on the actuarial principle is much less than that of the former. And as Adam Smith pointed out, a risky trade in which there is an element of romance often becomes so overcrowded that the average earnings in it are lower than if there are no risks to be run. But in the large majority of cases, the influence of bridge is in the opposite direction. A railway stock that is certain to pay 4% will sell for higher prices than one which is equal likely to pay 1% or 7% or any intermediate amount. Every trade then has its own peculiarity, but in most cases the evil of uncertainty counts for something, though not very much. In some cases, a slightly higher average price is required to induce a given outlet. If that average is the means of widely divergent and uncertain result, then if the adventurers may reckon confidentially on a return that differs but little from that average. To the average price, therefore, we must add a recompense for uncertainty. If that is unusual grade, though if we added insurance again rich, we should be counting the greater part of that try over.
Session 5. This discussion a bridge of trade has again brought before us the fact that the value of a thing, though it tends to equal its normal money cost of production, does not coincide with it at any particular time, save by accident. Curry, observing this, suggested that we should speak of value in relation to money cost of reproduction instead of in relation to cost of production. The suggestion has, however, no significance so far as normal values are concerned. For normal cost of production and normal cost of reproduction are convertible terms, and no real change is made by saying that the normal value of a thing tends to equal its normal money cost of reproduction instead of its normal money cost of production. The former, the former phrase is less simple than the later, but means the same thing. And no valid argument for the chain can be founded on the fact, which may be readily admitted, that there, there are some few cases in which the market value of a thing is nearer its cost of reproduction than the cost that was actually incurred in producing that particular thing. The present price of an iron safe, for instance, made before the great recent improvement in the manufacturers of iron, might diverge less from the cost of reproduction, and is and is of producing another just like it by modern methods than from that which was actually incurred in producing it. But the price of the old safe would be less than the cost of reproduction of the safe, because the art of designing safe has improved as fast that of manufacturing iron, and moreover still has displayed iron as the material of safe building. It may still be urged that the price of the safe is equal to that of producing a safe, which would be equally serviceable on the monoplan and by modern methods. But that would not be the same thing as saying that the value of the safe is equal to its cost of reproduction. And as a matter of fact, when as often happens, an unexpected scarcity of safe causes freight to increase very rapidly. Those who have answers to reap the harvest of profitable trade will pay for a safe in sharing order of price much over much above that for which a safe building firm would contracts to produce another equally good and deliver it sometime hence. Cost of reproduction asserts little direct influence on value, save when purchaser can conveniently wait for the production of new supplies. Again, there is no connection between cost of reproduction and price in the cases of food in a beleaguered city, of 
of Kinin, the supply of which has run short in a fever-stricken island, of a picture by Rabel, of a book that nobody cared to read, of an Agma club safe of obsolete pattern, of fish when the market is glutted, of fish when the market is nearly emptied, of crack, cracked bells, of a thresh material that has gone out of fashion, or of a house in this deserted meaning village. The reader, unless already experienced in economic analysis, is recommended to admit the next seven chapters and pass at once to chapter 15 which contain a brief summary of this book. It is truth that the four chapters on marginal costs in relation to values, and especially chapter 8 and chapter 9, bear upon some difficulties with a latent in the phrase, the net brothers of labor, and that this phrase is used in book 6. But the broad explanation of it given there will suffice provisionably for most purpose, purposes, and the intricacies connected with it may be best appreciated at a somewhat advanced stage of economic study.